be reading from Galatians. We are in about midway through our Galatians sermon series, and uh, and we are on page five. You'll see there that uh, we're in Galatians three fifteen through twenty five, or if you have a Bible, it's Galatians three fifteen to twenty five. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises, uh, just as no one can, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, oops. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declares that the the whole world is prisoner of sin, is a prisoner of sin. So that that was a, so that that was promised, that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, and we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Thanks be to God. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And um, we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Galatians. And as we continue... Let me remind you of some things. Um, by the way, are y'all cold? Okay, good. All right, fan, just wondering sometimes. All right. Uh, as we continue in this series in the book of Galatians, let me remind you of some things we've learned uh, thus far that takes us up to this point in the chapter 3. Uh, Galatians, again, was written as a letter to the churches in Galatia modern-day Turkey, to be passed around and, and read to their congregations. This letter, now a book in the Bible, written, you know, close to 2,000 years ago, was, was penned by the Apostle Paul. Apostle, a special minister, called as one who had seen Jesus, the resurrected uh, Jesus face-to-face, and called by him especially to tell the world about Jesus, in particular, to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And in doing so, speak the very word of God to them and now in this book to us. As we see in this letter, the main concern is with a group of uh, now Christian Jews, Judaizers, who were badgering uh, the Gentiles into believing and living according to their Jewish law and customs, in addition to their faith in Christ, to add to their faith in Christ, that they needed to follow the dietary laws and, and some of the ceremonial laws and above all else to be circumcised. 
as a sign and do those things as a sign, a, a behavioral indication that they were truly gods, truly in the faith. Last week we saw Paul begin to talk about the centrality of faith in being gods and even being a Jew faith and not following the law. And as his example, he takes them and us back to the father of Judaism, Abraham, who some 4,000 years became the first Jew. But he didn't become the first Jew by law, but by faith in God. That is trust in God's unconditional choosing of him, his unconditional favor. Now, Paul makes the connection, drawing a straight line between Judaism's origins and Christianity. That line is faith in God to make his people, his people, apart from the law. And now that God had come in the person of Jesus Christ, faith in Christ apart from the works that that we can do according to uh, the laws, biblical or extra-biblical. For if it was good for Abraham, then it has to be good for Jewish and non-Jewish believers today. Justification by faith. Being right with God and others and yourself in this world by belief that God has mercy and has given his grace, his his undeserved, unearned uh, love to sinners through Christ, that the love of God contrary to Judaizers was not lost. Now I re-wrote uh, the word lost for you uh, just to kind of explain what I mean by a love not lost. L-A-W-S-T. That is a love not bound up or, or held captive by the law of God. But this Bible is the whole counsel of God. It is all God's word. So with the law, the do's and don'ts given by a holy God being God's word, given to Moses to give to the Jews, where does it fit in all of this? You know, why is it here? Was it a mistake? Should we tear that part of our Bible out? Is it a biblical contradiction? It was, was the Moses era God's big mistake and now he's trying to fix it through Paul and Christianity? We have been talking a lot about faith in God apart from works and it, and it may sound like we are saying the law is opposed to what Paul calls the promise. That the law is opposed to the faith connection, the grace connection between God and man like we see with Abraham. If, if, if we are saying that a person is justified by God through belief in Christ apart from the works, their ability that is to follow the commandments and the laws of God, and that's exactly what we are saying, then what role does the law play in Christianity? What role does it play in our lives? Why even talk about the Old Testament and, and, and why even talk about the do's and don'ts and, and have the Ten Commandments in the Sunday school rooms and, and talk, why even, uh, look into that stuff? Well, the first thing we need to see 
is that Paul is teaching this group of Gentiles mixed in and, and being harped on by the Jews. First thing we need to see is that the law does not negate the promise because the promise, Paul's argument here, was received first. Look with me at verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. In other words, let's look at human contracts. Let's, let's think about how we do uh, contracts uh, outside of, of religion. J- just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to seeds, meaning... Uh, Seed, meaning one person who is your seed, who is Christ, sorry. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Now, what what the Judaizers were demanding and some Gentiles were accepting was that the law, the, the way to live holy and right before God had become the way to live out your faith. You know, the Mount Sinai experience that you may have seen on TV or, you know, the the prince of Egypt or whatever. You, you know, with Moses coming down uh, from the mountain with the cloud, the smoke, smoke with the Ten Commandments and the law, that that had come to define their relationship before God. And it began to color their faith in Christ with the same thought. But Paul is saying that the promise came first before the law. That, that God would be their God and they would be his people because he was merciful and loving. God c- could not have been canceled or replaced. This, this sort of loving relationship could not have been canceled or replaced by the law since the law came well over 430 years later. God had already decided how relationship with human beings and redeeming, redemptive relationship with people would look like. So it was always and always will be relationship with God by faith. Trust in his promises. Trust in his goodness. Not by our works of self-writing that God's people were made right. And so the law could not have been and never can be a substitute or a correction to God's promise. And if it was a promise, then it can only be received. See, right relationship with God is a gift. That's what Paul is saying here. It's a promise. It's a, it's a gift. It cannot, and, and thus it cannot be earned. The, the law is based on what you do or do not do. And so the law cannot take the place or negate the promise because they are two completely different things. In fact, in verse 21, Paul says, the law could not impart life. It couldn't save people from the death of their sins. And the promise, in the promise, there is life and life from sin. So they are different, but can't possibly be opposed. The promises, promise gives relationship with God by faith, and the law does not. So what does the law do then? Now, we're going to get a little teachy here, a little Sunday school for a minute. 
I'm going to take some time to tell you the doctrine of the law, which I would describe as an orthodox historical understanding of how God intends for the law to fit in our lives. Now, the Bible teaches that the law has three uses, three purposes. Now, now Paul only alludes to two out of three of the uses in this particular passage. First use of the law, though, is to restrain evil from fully manifesting itself. It's a grace of God to confine us to some sort of standard of living that we didn't have, that if we didn't have, we would have spun out of our humanity into sheer animalism. Laws, civility, expressed and and protected. Um, If it weren't like, like, for example, if it weren't posted at the speed limit, 65 or 70 or whatever it is, more of us, I know I would, more of the time would do something stupid. You know, ultra selfish, like risk the lives of our children, the lives of others to feel the speed, to race, to get there quicker, you know. And the only reason most of us don't is we are reminded by the signs and every now and then, you know, you got that funny looking car with the things on top that flash. You know, it just reminds us, which which reminds us of the penalty. It restrains us. You see, the law in doing this is not, uh, so it doesn't bring out our goodness or show how good we are. But on the contrary, the first use of the law tells us that something is wrong. Because there has to be a law. Because something wrong. The fact that there's a law says something wrong. Like there has to be a leash. Or there has to be a fence. For my dog, at least. Not so Brandy can be good, but to protect her and others from her badness, her inability to make good choices. We can't make good choices apart from the law. We'd go crazy around here. We'd loot. You know, you look on TV and see people loot. Man, what are they doing? Trust me, you would be surprised. What you would do if there were no law. The second use, to tell us what sin is. To tell us what wrong is. To show us why what we are doing is wrong. And finally and thirdly, which is not brought out in in this passage, is that it shows us how, and we're going to go into the first two a little bit more, but it shows us how to love God. And each other so that seeing the law through the lens. Now, now hear this now. Seeing the law through the lenses of Jesus. Not just looking at it on your own. But through the lenses of Jesus. It frees us to express gratitude and thanks to God. Simply put, the law tells us what God is like. His character. You know, what, and so it tells us what God likes. It guides us out of love to give God what he likes. Not to be accepted, but because you are accepted. Not to do it because I hope, God, if I do the right things and perform, you will love me. But thank you, God, for loving me. Not a we need to do it, but I want to please you, Lord. With that said, the first two purposes find a home um, in this passage. Why the law? Since the promise was first and effective to bring humankind into relationship with God, why 
the law then? As, as we have already alluded in, um, to in our three uses, Paul says it here in, in, in verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed, that's Christ, to whom the promise referred had come. That word transgression, the Greek word parabasis means this. It means to go by the side, to pass or pass over without touching a thing, to overstep, to neglect, to violate, so to go past as to turn aside from, to depart, to leave. Um, uh, one who abandons his trust. In other words, it means missing the mark. So the law was added or given after the promise to point out, like I said, that something was wrong with us. That our behavior was abnormal for being the humans God created us to be. The things we thought we were normal to feel or do or act, the law comes and says, the way you acting says something wrong with you, man. I remember when I was in first grade, this, oh gosh, all right. I had the patent leather shoes, shiny on the top, right? I wanted the bottoms to be shiny too. So I decided to lick the bottoms. I don't know why I remember that. Most things like that fall out in your mind. I remember the teacher, Howard Brown. What are you doing? And everybody looking at me. And it hit me. Something wrong with me. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought the bottom was supposed to be shiny like the top. When I lick it, whoa, shine. I didn't think when I walked on it again. I mean, this first grader, to God, human beings, you look like the first grader who licks the bottom of the shoes. And the law says, and the law points out that we are fallen and broken and mixed up and messed up and impure, that, that we got issues, we ain't right, we foul, something's wrong. And, and I'm going to say, even if you never opened a Bible, just from the damage you feel or see, or, or that is it, that is a general law. You know, the law that God kind of puts in human beings' hearts or in nature for us to see and say, you know, something's right or something's wrong. You know, it almost says, there's something that is right. There's someone there right. And you may think, I don't know his name or its name, but I ain't that. I ain't right. Something's wrong. And more specifically here, the law seen in the Ten Commandments not only say something is wrong with us, but it says, tells us what is wrong with us. I mean, what is bad? What exactly does sin look like or, or unrighteousness? And the law says, not worshiping God, taking someone else's stuff, and humanity's like, oh, that's wrong. You know, the Jews were set apart by God's people partly because they got to see firsthand exactly what wrong looked like. What unrighteousness, unrightness looked like. It looks like having something or someone else other than God of the Bible giving you ultimate fulfillment. It looks like brooding and depressing and being angry over having what, wanting what others have and you don't. 
it looks like not telling the truth to get an unfair advantage emotionally or economically or socially. Hiding your true intentions to harm. It looks like not responding to your parents as if God had given them to teach you or show you something about him. And the list goes on and on. But the law gives us a diagnosis of the way we miss the mark. It gives us a name and description of the sin, anemia in our souls. We're, we're, where we are low or too high or too right or too left. And with that, Paul even said, I didn't, I would not have known that I was lying or stealing or whatever unless the law told me. It diagnosed what my transgression was. And with that, it shows us not only what wrong is, but exactly how wrong we are. When I say how, I mean degree of wrong. And another letter Paul says teaches that the law made our sin, our transgression, our missing the mark, that the law made sin exceedingly sinful. That means that the law of God comes along and says something's wrong with you. You know, you know, and this is what is wrong. And this is how bad it is. You, your sin, just the one sin you commit is malignant. It is it is metastasizing your being and your community and it's infinitely offensive um, to a perfect God. Man, you think you're bad? The law says you have no idea. Let's take it two or three or four steps better. And just when you think you're doing good, the law comes along and says, oh, missed it over here. You just, you know, it is apart from grace. It is safe to say that the law always comes with bad news. Hopeless news about you. The law is a bully you hate to see coming. You know, the older cousin or brother, the relentless demanding dad, the mean Christian leader. You know, it is abusive. It is mean. It is relentless. Like Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but the Protestant reformer guy from 1517 said, the law is a hammer from God. Not because it is mean or abusive in and of itself, because God isn't. But because we have so lived and so lived like we are okay and kind of live holding on to our belief that we're pretty good, that we are not so bad, that it becomes an abuser to our own sense of self-worth as opposed to the worth that God gives sinners by faith. Okay, back to some stupid things I did when I was a kid. We had this seat, and you know how you have the one, the one door car and the other seat folds down like that, like folds this way so you could get in the back seat? I thought, what if I put my hand in there? And my daddy sits on it. I wonder if it's going to hurt. Y'all, I know. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe something really wrong with me that ain't wrong with y'all. But I thought it wouldn't be that bad. You know, let me just see. He's not that heavy. I am quick enough or strong enough. And if it hurts, whoop, I'll pull it back, you know, to take it or lift it up. I mean, my brother Joel did this. My daddy was taking me to Clemson to drop me off. And he rented this town car so we could fit everything in. And he got a deal on it. And so, you know how you boop on them cars and then it goes mm, boom like that so Joel my brother saw it a couple times he must have been five or something I don't know what, what. I want to make him younger but maybe he's older anyway so he decided to put his finger just in a little slot thinking he can move it at the last minute well y'all know what happened 
You see, when we put our best foot or hand or finger forward in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness, the law presses it. It mashes it. It pinches it. And to the degree to which we struggle with thinking we are good, it abuses our own self-righteousness to put our hand to make good, to, to be quick enough or strong enough or fast enough against God's heaviness, against his holiness. I, I was watching Man vs. Wow. Man, if y'all ain't seen that show, that thing is wow. Dude be eating all kind of stuff. I'm going to save y'all. Bugs and okay, okay, I'm not gonna go down there. Okay, but you know he says I'm gonna get lost in the woods and show you how to survive. So he does something dumb like go in a remote part of town, town, a remote part of Africa, or one of them, you know, places. Or anyway, so you know he got in the spot and he goes, you see this mud right here? He's an English guy. Bears, Bear Grills is his name. You see this right there? This is like mud that if you get in, you will die. He says I'm gonna get in. And show you how you can survive. And you're like, okay. I'm wondering what the camera guy's thinking. Okay, fool. You know, just go right ahead. I want to see it. You know, y'all got to watch this show. Anyway, so he, um, he says, the thing about the mud, the more you struggle, the further you sink. It's kind of ironic. The law. The more you struggle to be right, the law makes you and shows you how dirty you are. You know, the law is a bully to the good kids, you know? The law is a bully to the nerds of the law, the the trying to be righteous. A bully beats you up for two major reasons. You different or you indifferent. And the law, the law bullies your being indifferent to law, to God's law and being different from its righteousness. No, this is not good news for us or me and it will never be. You will, I mean, I think you should find a self-justifying religion without it. And, and I understand why people run from the Bible. Heck, I say run. I mean, Want and look for something more and something different because I'm with you. Don't live in the abuse of the law, the bullying of it, the beating of it, the hammering of it. Because the law, the what you should do and not do to be right before God is bad news. Unless it is used to point onward and upward. Paul describes the law here as as being put in charge to lead us. Look with me at verse 23. But before the law came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, a better interpretation of this text calls the law a tutor, a schoolmaster. And you should think this is not the nice teacher. No, but the one with the ruler. You know, the one that pops your knuckles, the one that says wrong, wrong, wrong there too. The the law is the gym teacher, you know, that makes you climb that rope that you can't climb, that makes you change in the locker room to your shame. Paul is saying that apart from the promise, the Jews were trapped in prison as nerds in a school of jocks or dumb jocks in a school of nerds or ugly in a school of good looking. Y'all get what I'm saying. Well, I mean, being found out wanting 
And this is what the law did for the Jews and does for us. The law without relent drags us and directs us and leads us to be desperate for mercy and rightness, the kind God offers. Look with me again at verse 23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now the faith that has come, we are no longer under. No, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Was he saying? The law makes you long and beg for rightness that you don't deserve and you can't get. To want to be clean from our dirtiness. To be freed from the slavery we didn't know we were in before the law told us. To be freed from the ugliness we didn't know we were until it raised the mirror to us. To yes, man, I need an extreme makeover because the law held the thing up to my face and my stuff is messed up. The Jews under the laws of Moses should have been driven by it. And seeing their distance from being the people God would have them to be and seeing their sin to run back to the promise. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, we are God's people, not by works, because without a doubt, it was not by works because they couldn't work it out. And Moses, you're not the one. You just bring the bad news that leads us back to the good news that we should have found rest and relief in when we think about what really made us God's people that God promised Abraham and now us to be our God and we as people to 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 make us say, man, thank you, God. I believe in your promise that you keep us despite us. I need the justification that you alone can bring. And so it is with us, man, when we are convicted and feel that we are pointed out as wrong, uncomfortable by the law that we hear in this Bible, always talking about sin and how bad we are. I mean, some of us, man, we stopped going to church because we we got tired of being beat up and bullied by the preaching and the songs and the righteous people. Man, the law is some dangerous stuff. It can guilt you into trying to do right. It can guilt you into acting right. Acting mean like, hey, Oscar winner. Acting right. It can guilt you into being what the organization wants you to be. It can guilt you into thinking, you know, go do all the right things and all the right things well enough. And the Bible has made someone feel that much more godless. And if that's all there is and all you've experienced... You've missed the good news. Or they have missed the good, miss you with the good news. The law drives us to utter desperation and the promise rescues our desperation. Look back with me at verse, look back with me at verse 15. No, I'm sorry, 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to the seed. The scripture does not say and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ, the seed in Christ, 
Paul is saying the law in its place in Scripture next to the promise, not opposed to it, should now that Christ has come point Jew and Gentile alike to Jesus. Who is the fulfillment of the promise given Abraham? A writing of all humanity before God, before the law came through Christ. And so where the law pointed out what was wrong and even points us to our need for help or redemption, Jesus makes all that is wrong and desperate right and rescued and redeemed. Jesus is the promise of what God did with Abraham. That people are not his because of what they have done or not done, but by faith in him alone, in his goodness alone, his unmerited, unearned love for them. And now Christ is that manifestation, that that final and full offering of the promise that if you have him and he has you then, then you are his. That you have the promise of being God's people. And no law keeping or breaking or changing or shifting can change that. We have this scripture here about a mediator. And it says here that that that, that it's kind of got a weird twist to it. It said, verse 19, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression to the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into full into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. It's saying that this law means that there is an obligated party in an obligatory group. God being the one who is offended and demanding and we the people offending him. And Moses couldn't do it. Christ the seed alone could do the justifying works that God demanded and take the sin that we failed in doing right and fulfilling that too. Jesus took away our sin and he provided the righteousness we needed. The church, yourself, Your relationships will always show how messed up you are. How lost you are. Your wife, your husband, your parents, your job, your country, economics, your social life, your spiritual world, the law of God found in the word of God is always there to point out the cracks. Always there to point out the damage, the messed up nature of you, the damage done by you and and your own ability to fix it. But Jesus always, before you knew what was wrong or right, Jesus has always and always will be the savior of mankind, the free gift of God for sinners trapped and bullied by their wrongness, lost lost, separated by God, not only by their sin, which the law points out, by separated by their self-righteous attempts to do it. Christ was sent to the lost so that sinners, you and me, church people and not-so-church people, believer, unbeliever, those missing the mark and falling short and sinning and, and then trying to self-writing by doing enough good things or sending enough money over to Africa and all kind of stuff. 
frees us from ever believing we can care for ourselves or trust ourselves. Jesus is saying, in the light of the law that declares you condemned, come to me. Come into me. Receive the free gift of the promise that you can be God's apart from your works. Because in Christ, no one who is his by faith can be lost. And his love for them is not cut off or stopped by the law. In Christ, by faith, by trusting him in your sin, in your self-writing attempts, no love is ever lost. Justification by faith, not by the works of the law, but through Christ alone. No love lost. No love lost. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we live a life. Whenever we turn on the television or get in conversation it's always revealed or even open the Bible in the right section it's always revealed what we aren't how we miss the mark how we fall short convince us of the promise of your grace of your undeserved love and mercy for sinners call us to you Free us from the bondage of the law. The bondage of trying to fix ourselves. Free us, Jesus, to be God's people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.